Yo, it is Puka. Just wanted to take a minute here to wish all of you a very happy holiday season and a prosperous new year as we close the chapter on a crazy 2020. Also just wanted to let you all know we are doing some exclusive interviews to get you through those dark, cold days of January, but they will only be available on our YouTube channel. So go over to YouTube, The One To Go Show, search us up, go ahead and subscribe. Like I said, we've got uh, uh, about a half dozen interviews lined up there for you to get you through some of the coldest days of winter. With that, we hope you enjoy the show. All right, race fans, Ryan Aho here, bringing you the one to go show with our, of course, co-host of the show, the one and only Bert Lehman. Bert, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yourself? Man, I'm happier than a puppy wagon, two tails. So I'm doing good. <laughs> Life is good. We're getting to that time of the year. The season's closing down. We're getting to the holiday season, right? Should have our Christmas hats on. We don't have those. Fail on our part, right? But uh, hey, we're into episode 59, just about ready to click the odometer one more time and get to 60 next week. But man, I tell you, it's been a, it's been a hell of a lot of fun. You know, I like talking racing. We do that. A lot more than uh, a lot more than our other has probably want us to do, but uh, I, I, it keeps us out of trouble. So it's been a heck of a lot of fun. And you know, before we get into the show, of course, you know, hey, there, there's still time. There's still time. Christmas is coming. But ladies, if you have not bought that significant other a gift yet, get a hold of Frank. Um, that's Frank Zuli, Zuli Race Engines. Go ahead, buy him an engine. I don't know that he can have it done for Christmas, but you can get a picture of an engine, put it stocking stuff or whatever you want to do. He'll be really happy. I mean, get, get him an engine. I mean, if you really love your significant other, give Frank a call. He'll help you out. And, and uh, just tell him Ryan said to give him a, a Christmas deal. So maybe he'll give you a little bit of a cut on that. I don't know. But uh, I talked to a lot of drivers. <clears throat> I've been talking to more and more drivers, Bert, that have this stuff. I didn't realize so many people had it. I mean, you know, you talk to Parker Anderson and some of them guys. I mean, there, there's a lot of folks running them, them engines, very happy with them. And, uh, you know, they're kind of the engine to beat, so to speak, in the Wasota street stock class. So, you know, they build everything, but, you know, that that's kind of the key. So let's get into, I guess, a week in review. <clears throat> you, know, the, you know, we don't have 17 races like we do in the middle of the summer, but there was a couple races. And uh, we'll start out with some late model racing, Bert. And I know that you had an opportunity to jump online there and catch, catch a little racing action. You know, uh, what did you see here this weekend? Yeah, I had uh, Livonia Speedway in Georgia was, uh, what, night three of the Dry Deans Extreme Dirt Car Series. And um, it had, you must have you must, uh, just loved this race because it had everything that you love. Dry track, daytime racing, and uh, there's a third thing. But now I can't remember the third thing that you love. Well, there was some carnage. Uh, there was a little torque equipment <laughs> in it, right? <clears throat> a little bit of drama. Uh, but, uh, yeah, daytime racing and, um, you know, uh, Michael Brown won the race. Uh, I believe he started, he started in at least the first two rows somewhere in there. He ran second most of the race and then, uh, got by, uh, for the lead. Uh, I don't know. It was probably with like 10 laps to go or so, but I mean, honestly, all in all, it wasn't too exciting. Um, I, I guess, uh, Strickler, why well, I, I saw him hit the wall in the feature, but, and apparently, uh, that was his second time hitting the wall, according to the, to the announcer. The high side tickler was doing a hell of a lot more than tickling the high side, right? He was <laughs> he was absolutely shredding it. And, uh, yeah, both times in three and four, he just parked it in the fence in the heat race. He ripped the whole deck tin spoiler, ripped it all off. And I think he was running second when he did it. And then he had to bring out the backup car, right? And he completely shredded another car. He kind of got up into the top 10 there. And, and what's interesting, he was the point leader going into this deal, right? So he was the point leader in the Extreme Nerd Car Series. So the winner was downtown Michael Brown, the big loser in that one, the high side tickler, Kyle Strickler. So, yeah, you can jump on dirt on dirt, catch that. I mean, it was, yeah, I, I think he wants that night back. Let's just. But, you know, here's the deal. The track was – the top was so dirty, right? And mm -hmm. that's, 
Nobody else shredded the wall like he did. So, I mean, you can't use that as an excuse. I mean, clearly he overdrove the car and, you know, the guy can flat out wheel. So I'm not going to tell him how to race. Dude, I am too. Stay off the wall. Come on. Kill him. <laughs> right? Okay. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you know, he just, it, it's really dirty up there. And you look at the track <clears throat> and I watched the feature and it was mostly dry, but it wasn't really all dry. There was a big, big tax strip, probably half a car wide, maybe even a little wider than that on the bottom of both corners. And, and what happened is, you know, I, we talked about this in earlier shows. Drivers are going to do what? They're going to sniff out traction, right? They're going to be sniffing out traction. Well, when you get a big tack stripper on the bottom and then it's dry through the middle, right? And then the top's all marbly, where's everybody going to go? They're going to go right to the tires. It's going to be one lane racing. Is there an alternative to that? You know, yeah, drivers complain, and I was one of them, right? We complain, we're like, oh, we hate the big, stupid Ute tires. Hate them. They're, they're, they, all they do is wreck cars. But in a situation like that, Bert, have you seen where racetracks maybe got one lane on the tires, they take those big tires, and then they push them out on the tax strip mm -hmm. so the whole rest of the track is even then? And, I, you know, I've seen a few places do that. Do they do that out in eastern Wisconsin at all? No, they, they don't do that out in eastern Wisconsin. But, uh, well, some tracks do have – well, I should take that back. I mean, some tracks in eastern Wisconsin, they do have tires that they can move around. Uh, it's more so entering the corner, um, but most of the tires within the corner itself are pretty much where they are. Um, but I, I have seen, like, 141 Speedway has tires that are completely movable. They can kind of adjust uh, where they want to put them. And um, I have seen them use that for – instances like that to you know to try to make it uh more even racing now drivers before you blow up my text messages and my messenger and all that i'm gonna be straight up okay looking at it from a fan's perspective on a promoter perspective if you get a one lane tax strip on the bottom that's a half a car wide and everybody's fighting for that same real estate i am 100 percent an advocate for taking those Uke tires and putting them on the traction strip and making the whole rest of the track even. Now, drivers are going to be like, oh, they tear up equipment. You know, you rip your left front off, it's a thousand bucks and things are stupid. Do you know why that happens? Because if there's a tack strip on the bottom and that's the only place people can race, well, of course you're ripping stuff off because everybody's fighting for that one spot. If you cover up that one spot and make the whole rest of the track even, you won't even know the tires are there because you'll be able to run the bottom, the middle, the top. You'll be able to run all over the racetrack instead of everybody fighting for that one little tiny strip of traction. It'll actually save you money by doing that. And <clears throat> I think it's a viable tool. I can't, there is nothing worse, in my opinion, except rubber. Rubber's worse. Okay, rubber's worse. But it's it, take rubber out of the equation. A one-lane train on the tires is the most excruciatingly boring. It's horrible. There ain't nobody in the stands that likes it. There's nobody on the racetrack other than the leader that likes it. It's terrible. Nobody wants to watch that. Nobody wants to be part of it. If it's going to be one lane, bang the cushion. At least it's exciting, right? You know, we don't want one lane anything. Optimally, we want three lanes. I get it. But <clears throat> I think in an instant like that, watching that race, the first thing that went through my mind is, man, they should have pushed them tires out. Now, don't do it during the race. <laughs> I've had that happen to me where I passed the guy and uh, I actually started 12th and, the, and I got to second. I diamonded it and I drove off the bottom. I took the lead. Yellow comes out. I went back to second because he had to go back a lap. I go out there and drive around the parade lap and they're pushing the tires out on the traction strip on the, like in the middle of the race. I'm like, what the hell is that? I was so <laughs> mad. So if you do that, number one, do it like before the race and let everybody know that you're going to do it. Say, you know, we're getting rid of this one lane crap so you guys can race. And then you might have to go miss middle of top and kind of do some stuff to the track. But I think uh, a good track prep crew can get creative on how to do them to create some better racing. Now, another thing that was interesting in that show, Bert, <clears throat> is second place in points guy, Benji Hicks, right? Now, keep in mind, this series is only six shows, and it's kind of spread out over the next couple months here. 
So it's a six-show series, and I think it's 15000 to win the championship in this deal. It pays back pretty good. And uh, Benji Hicks, second in points, no-show. Overton was seventh, no-show. What's your thoughts on these mini-series like this, and you can't even get people following them? I mean, what, what's your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I don't know the exact reason why uh, they didn't show, but, I mean, part of it could be, um, you know, maybe they want some off-season. I mean, the the way the schedules are now, there really is no off-season. Um, so maybe they just wanted um, some time to uh, regroup and get ready for 2021 race season because that's only a few weeks away I mean depending on where you're going to be racing and another reason maybe and I thought of this as I was watching the feature is the racing just isn't very good I mean <laughs> I'm sorry but all this all the races in this series are in the daytime at least everyone that I've seen and it just date we've had this discussion several times daytime racing is not conducive for good side-by-side -side, you know good passing racing i mean maybe part of the issue with strickler was i mean he knew he was second in point or no he was leading in points and he wanted to get to the front but there it, you know the outside really wasn't conducive but he was trying to make something happen and oh, maybe, he's on the you know, wheel yeah he's on the <laughs> wheel there ain't no doubt he's he's a high side hustler for sure you know some of these other drivers are thinking, you know, it's so close to the end of the year, you know, 2021 is about to start. Let's just save our equipment and, you know, get ready for a new year. I mean, I'm just guessing on my part. But, but it's I mean, kind of the same thing. thing in the summer, right? I mean, you take the Wasota Late Model Challenge Series, and I'm excited for 2021. I really am because I just got done talking to a few people, and they said their plans is to follow the challenge series. I'm excited about that because <clears throat> I believe, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think in 2019, they, they had a scheduling conflict at the end of the year that kind of changed the numbers a little bit. There might've been a couple more that would have followed, but I think they only had five or six guys that followed the whole series. You know, and it's like, what is it, you know, on the, what is it that draws people to it, right? You know, because, I mean, it's, everybody wants more money. I get it. It'd be, it'd be great if they could be five grand to win, 500 to start. You'd probably have more people following you, but the tracks would all go broke. So that's a tough deal, right? But, I mean, they pay better than a regular night. I mean, they're 2,000 to win, 200 to start for most of them. Um, but it, it kills me because I know, you know, people like Dirt Kings, people that run the Challenge Series, people that have the Extreme Dirt Car Series, they put together these little serieses you know, you take the Hell Tour, right? They didn't have a lot of people that ran every show of the Hell Tour. You know, you take the, the Mars series. You have all these series in the series promoters. They're simply doing this because they love racing. They're not getting rich doing it. I mean, there's a lot of time and effort putting this on. They're not getting rich. They want to put together a cool little series for the drivers to get more people to follow it and just more entertainment. And I, <clears throat> I feel bad for some of the people that run the series, because it's like, I don't know what the golden ticket is. I don't know what the answer is to, to attract more drivers to that. I really don't know. I don't feel like it's just money. I really don't. Um, I feel like maybe scheduling stuff. There's just, there's so many variables there. And you know, this deal here, I, it kind of sucks because there's, it's not like they're competing against other tracks, you know, right. like with this extreme dirt car series, at least in the challenge series stuff, you're like, okay, I get it because some of these guys want to stay home and race. I get it. But here there's not racing against nothing. So, you know, drivers, specifically late model drivers, but any driver in any class that has a series, you know, shoot out the comments, you know, shoot us a message. Let us know what would it take you to follow a series. If we had a, an 8, 10, 12, 14 race series that paid pretty decent money, whether it's the Advantage RV Mod Tour, the Dirt Kings, the Tri-State Series, the Challenge Series, the Super Stock Series, the Stephanie Street Stock Series, all these different series. What would it take for you to follow those series? Because all of them want more people participating because that's going to do two things. That's going to bring more value to the series, right? So if a series comes into town, one, any one of those series that I mentioned, and they have 25 drivers that are following this series, they can sell that to the track and say, look, 
we got a ton of people following this deal. Like we're going to have, we're, we're bringing 25 of our own cars plus whatever you have. This can be a hell of a show. Well, guess what? Now the, the promoters are more inclined to be like, well, heck yeah, let's do it. They're willing to pay more money because more drivers create more fans. Everything kind of goes full circle, but we need to know what is it that would get you to come to these shows. So I'm curious to hear that, Bert. I'm going to be talking to a lot of drivers over the winter to try to kind of figure that out because we have some plans and some things going on for 2021 that, that I just want to know how that works. I know what it took for me, but everybody's different. Now, you know, I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little sprint car racing. My buddy Keith, not necessarily sprint cars, midgets, right? But uh, I didn't even know there was anything going on. <clears throat> so hat, tip of the hat right here to our, our uh, sprint car expert. And uh, he really, what he showed me is, hey, Kyle Larson got another one, right? And he's keeping an eye on uh, young money. But um, I didn't get to see any video. I know there was video footage. Carolina Midget Showdown, Millbridge Speedway, Salisbury, North Carolina. Did you get a chance to look at any of the stats? Did you do much digging on that? Did you see much what happened there? I didn't do a lot. I didn't see much for stats other than uh, Kyle Larson uh, got, uh, what was it, victory number 46, was it? And uh, now you had mentioned to me that uh, you think that that's his final event for 2020. Yeah, it sounds like that's it. There's only a couple weekends left. I mean, that. so I, from what I understand, this is from Keith. Keith was looking that up on his website. He kind of feels like that's going to be his last show. So 46th win in 93 tries, four different classes, 49% win percentage. No, no, Bert, we're doing like this late model stats, putting together this top 25, and we're looking at people that have 50 to 60% in the top five. And we're like, that's, that's pretty good, right? He's got 49% winning. <laughs> that's incredible, right? Now, if you only race four shows and you won two, probably not quite of a big deal. But when you win 46 and 93, he's got to be, he's in the conversation for driver of the year, for sure. And uh, he should have, you know, legitimately should have had 47. Because uh, night number one, he rolled on lap one. <laughs> Tipped it over lap one. And uh, he came from last to second. Actually, I shouldn't say night one. They changed it because literally a couple days before the event, they they kind of put restrictions on everything. And they were told they had to go pay-per-view only, like literally just a handful of days before the event. So they kind of condensed everything into one race. So in feature number one, he flipped it on lap one. Chase Briscoe won. So isn't he going to drive for Smoke? Is he going to drive for Stewart, Chase Briscoe? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, so he won. Kyle Larson last to second in another NASCAR guy, Chase Elliott. Never heard of him before, have you? No. Yep. I yeah, he, he got third. <laughs> and then in feature two, Kyle Larson won. No, Cameron McIntosh, I don't know that guy. He got second, Chase Briscoe third, and then uh, Chase Elliott got fourth. So Chase Elliott, he's running pretty good. He's kind of trying to get his, he's sharpening his pencil for the chili bowl here. You know, so at first I'm like, ah, you know, it's pretty cool to ask our guy jumping in, but he's getting some laps in that thing, so he can be kind of fun to watch. He's another young gun that gets up on the wheels. So um, Kyle Larson, 46 and 93, hell of a season for him. Anything you want to add there on uh, young money? Well, I want to add about uh, Chase uh, Elliott, actually. Okay. I didn't realize that, uh, I mean, do you know what kind of dirt experience he has? Be or is he just getting behind the – wheel on dirt for the first time i didn't i didn't realize he was uh um placing that well so soon <laughs> yeah i i really don't have an answer to that That's something we have to do a little research on we have to check that out because i i'm pretty impressed just hopping in he's he's a i mean you win the cup championship you're probably okay i mean you're probably at least above average right you know so he knows how to drive but uh, jumping in one of them dicey little midget cars and things are quick and up on the wheel. I mean, you know, usually them are, I mean, not usually, they're always slide job, banging the cushion, crossovers. I mean, it's a totally different driving style completely than racing on asphalt. So I, I haven't watched him yet, but I will be watching the Chili Bowl. I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch him. I'm pretty impressed by what he has going on there for sure. Well, I mean, it, it's impressive what he's done this off season. I mean, he won won the NASCAR championship. So, you know, he could, he could just be sitting back enjoying the accolades, 
Uh, but he's out there racing. I mean, he raced in the snowball derby uh, on in a super late model on asphalt. Now he's racing. He got third a in that, didn't he? Yeah, I believe so. After going through the last chance qualifying race, mm -hmm. and um, so yeah, I mean, he's putting together a pretty impressive uh, local off season, you know, and. Um, so yeah, that's impressive. And regarding uh, um, Young Money, uh, unfortunately, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it while they could this year because I, he's not going to be behind the wheel of a dirt car as much next year. <laughs> it sounds like he's still going to be able to race some dirt, though, which at first I'm, I was thinking if he ran for Hendrix, he'd be done. Like I thought he was going to shut him down completely, but at least it sounds like he's going to be able to raise some dirt. So that's pretty cool. I'm happy to hear that, but, but you're exactly right. I mean, with all the craziness that happened in 2020, one of the treats that we got was, was really being able to see what he can do on dirt. And it was impressive. I mean, it was, it was really a joy and something to kind of look back on kind of one of the big stories, I guess, of 2020. Now let's talk about one of the, another young gun, you know, I, I'm going to call him Wisconsin's next big thing all right now bird has no idea what the hell i'm talking about no, I don't. this is not on the agenda all right <laughs> now i was i was jumping i was on facebook and uh megan adams had on there she says uh well i knew i knew that buzzy and blake and all them they went down to st louis and blake adams is buzzy adams and megan's kid right and he's racing go-karts he's running winged and flat carts he went down to st louis four for four and I'm like, how many feature wins does he have on the year? And Buzzy's like, well, he's got 21 in the wing, seven in the flat car, 28 feature wins for this kid. Now, <clears throat> here's the deal. So he's just a kid. He's literally a couple of years away from jumping into a B-Mod, all right? Grandpa, Tim McMahon, former Wissota Late Model National Champion. Grandpa, Dave Adams, ton of wins and modifies late models, build engines forever. So you got racing pedigree. Dad, the human highlight reel, right? Kevin Buzzy Adams. You know, the guy's won, I don't even know how many races, but I, I, I think it's five or 600. It's just insane how many wins and championships and Lasota 100s he's won. Well, this is a third generation, right? And I'm excited to see him because <clears throat> I like to see the young guns come in and, and win and be, I, I like to follow that. And all of the people that I mentioned there are class acts. Like, you know, not only are them guys race, great race car drivers, but like everybody likes Tim McMahon, like everybody. Everybody likes Buzzy Adams. Everybody likes Dave Adams. So this kid comes in and, and he's just part of that same family, that same group. And, you know, 28 feature wins. Sounds like they're done for the year. Um, they're done with their season, but I know it's just go-karts, but it's pretty darn impressive. And uh, I, I wish I would have been able to maybe watch a race or two. They shot me over a couple of video clips, and you're watching them now. If you're watching this on Facebook, you're able to see a little bit of what, what I'm talking about. But uh, we have a new generation of 40 note. There is some sadness in my heart on this deal because I'm a little nervous that once he's old enough to race, I feel like Buzzy's going to relegate himself to crew chief, and I don't want to see that. Like, Buzzy, like, I enjoy watching you race. Like, you're, you're fun to watch. Now, I'm getting it. Yeah, he, he's probably going to be fun to watch too, but you can't quit. Nobody likes a quitter. You can't be doing that. So, Bert, uh, keep an eye. Wisconsin's next big thing, Blake Adams over there, uh, he's, he's going to be fun to watch in years to come. So, let's get into a little dirt late model rules, right? We'll get past the recap stuff and <clears throat> let's get into uh, – You there was a – I saw a Facebook post from Austin Kirkpatrick, okay? Sounds like he's only got like 15, 18 races in like the last three years, but he runs really well. Um, he's an engineer background. He built his own car, and it's deemed illegal. <laughs> what, did, what did you see on that? Um, well, actually, I, I heard part of a podcast that he was on, and he was explaining building the car, and he said his car – the way he builds his car, it's more legal than what the cars that are on the track right now. Um, I mean, I mean, basically, he made it sound like, you know, he's making sure that his car is legal. So, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not 
an expert on what was deemed illegal on his car? I mean, was the whole car deemed illegal or just a <coughs> portion so, so of it? So here's what he did. He, instead of having lower A-frames and, you know, like a traditional car, like a traditional late model or modified where they got, well, I guess they don't have lower A-frames, they got struts or whatever. But instead of having a suspension like pretty much every other late model does in the front, he went with a straight axle wheel, which is more similar to like what they have in a sprint car. So it's kind of like a one big piece going across there. And there's a little bit more to it. But if you look at the, here's what's crazy, Bert. If you look at the cost of the piece, you know, of his front end geometry, it's literally like half price of everybody else's. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. In the history of open late model racing, and, and this is a quote from him, is like, I think this is like the first time in the history of open late model racing that they actually like made a rule on front suspension. It's open late model, right? I mean, they, I mean, they they got stacked springs. They got all this crazy stuff going on. They eliminate a straight axle. There's no logic there. So it gets a person to think, and it's like, well, why? Why? Why they do that? Well, <clears throat> two words come to mind: um, Mark Richards, right? And this seems to be kind of the ongoing opinion of everybody in the late model world is clearly Mark Richards didn't like this, so they just went ahead and they're just not going to allow it. That's kind of what happened with the droop rule, right? I mean, Mark Richards come in and he's like, well, hey, these things are getting out of hand. And, and guess what? Advantage Rocket, disadvantage Team Zero because they, they couldn't figure that deal out. And, and they I don't think they ever really got where they wanted to with that droop rule deal. Now, how are rules made, right? I mean, you know, I, it's made different in everything. I don't know how World of Outlaws does it. I don't know how <clears throat> Ray Cook's deal does it. I don't know how the open light models do it. Do they have one person in charge? You know, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but I mean, you kind of pay attention to late models. I mean, it's like the only person that they listen to is Mark Richards. Are they talking to anybody else? I mean, what what do you think? I mean, I, I, I don't know if they're talking to anybody else. And, you know, I don't know if, if this was deemed illegal because of Mark Richards, but I mean, if it was, I mean, that's part of a, a problem when you have a chassis maker, who's also a um, team owner of the most successful <laughs> car on a traveling national traveling series. And the top um, three cars are all rockets, right? Him, Overton and, and Owens. Yes. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's like every somebody else gets a little technology, they get a little edge, and they're like, no, nah, we're not going to allow that. Or, you know, he calls belly aching and lobbying and kind of politicking a little bit. And it's like, well, maybe he's just smooth. Maybe he's, maybe he's a, maybe what he's selling is better than everybody else as far as like leverage and all that. I mean, he's got, there's something going on and it's not real cool. It's kind of like politics. In my experience, Bert, you know, I've had people ask me, well, how are rules even made? My only personal experience is with Wasota. Okay. And, and as a driver, when I was driving, I always had ideas. It's like, we should allow this. This shouldn't be allowed. This should be changed and all that. And, and what do we usually do? We jump on Facebook or we're belly aching to our friends or we're complaining about it, bitch and whatever. Right. But in with, how does a rule get changed? I know in Wasota, if you want a rule change, if you're a driver in Wasota and you want a rule change, there's just a couple simple steps. Number one, write out what you want as far as a rule change, right? Draw it all out, write it all on paper. Here's how I want the rule written, okay? That's step one. Step two is why do you want that rule change? Is it cost? Is it safety, technology, better product? What is it? So you got to write down why. How is it going to affect the sport financially? Is it going to give people a performance advantage that have it over people that don't? You got to get all this stuff on paper, okay? It's not that complicated. Get it on paper. Now, there's a couple key steps, right? Just like politics, right? If you're a, if you're a congressman and you, if you write up a law, how do you get it passed? Well, you call all the other people voting on it, right? And you make sure that you have enough votes to pass what you want to pass. It's pretty simple. When I was on the board at the Hibbing Raceway, if we wanted to make a change, we just made sure we had enough of our buddies that were in the association come to that meeting so we could vote however we wanted to. And just that's just the way it works, right? Same thing here. See, in Wasota, there's say, let's say if you're a modified guy, okay, there might, I don't know exactly how many uh, tracks have mods, 
but let's say that there's 30 tracks that have Wasoda modifieds. Now in Wasoda, those are the only tracks that get a vote because if you don't have Wasoda modifieds, you can't vote on Wasoda modified vote. Okay, that makes sense. Now, with that said, what you have to do is you gotta get this drawn on paper and then you need to, you have to realize that the rule has to pass by a two thirds majority vote. So that means that you have to have 21 of 30 vote your way. So what you have to do is you have to physically call or meet with each of those individual promoters, present your case, make sure they understand it, get them on your side. That way when it comes to the annual meeting, when it comes up, you already know it's a done deal because you had you did your homework and you have enough people on your side to vote for it. That's how you pass the rule. That's how we got the quick changes in in Wasota. We, me and Jason Tennis, we started a driver's committee and we, we contacted, we actually were gonna pass it the year before until Terry Volts threw a temper tantrum about it on literally like in front of the meeting right before we voted on it, he threw a fit. But the fact of the matter is the next year we came back, we had all of our T's crossed, our dies dotted, we talked to all the promoters. As soon as they brought it up for a vote, boom, it was overwhelming, it was a done deal. So that's how you pass a rule in Wasota. Now, Bert, here's what's crazy. And I know you probably don't know a lot about Wasota, but they have this thing called the rules freeze, okay? Now, promoters voted in good intentions. They're like, we're going to vote in a rules freeze because a rules freeze means, hey, we're just going to kind of keep things the same over the next three, four years. Logically, that's what it kind of sounds like, right? We're going to free the, freeze the rules. Do you want to know what it really means? Here's what it really means. It means that the promoters cannot present a rule. The promoters no longer have a vote during the rule freeze on rule changes, but the Wasota board or the, or the tech committee, whoever it may be, they can change whatever the rule they want. They just got to call it a clarification instead of a rule change. And they've done that multiple times. So any promoter that votes to have a rules freeze does not understand that all they're doing is giving away their power to somebody else. That's all they're doing. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you this question, okay? You're a fan, you're on the fan side of this deal. But if, if I ask you who, who should be involved in the rules making process as a fan, you've been around racing for a long time. Who, who do you think should be at least involved in the rules making process? Well, I mean, I think the drivers should, their input should be heard. I wouldn't say drivers should be making the rules though. I mean, there's a distinction between providing input and actually being uh, in a position to change rules. Um, I've, heard, I've heard this told to me uh, before, um, and if it's not true, I apologize, but I heard that Pete Parker once said that the worst thing you can do is have the drivers create the rules for racing. <laughs> that, that is true, right? That is, that, I, I would agree with that statement because we're all looking for an edge, right? Every single one, I would agree. I think that is wise. Um, so who should be making the rules? Well, it kind of depends on the situation. I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, if you have a number of tracks in a particular area, well, I mean, I guess this could be with soda. I mean, you have a you have a group of tracks that have joined together. I mean, you should gather input from all of the tracks as to um, you know what they feel would be the proper rules for their divisions that are racing at their tracks because you want rules to be uniform enough where cars can travel around and race at other uh, facilities. I mean, not obviously not on the, on the same night because then you're competing against each other. Uh, but I mean, you want drivers to be able to race at multiple facilities because the hope would be that the more opportunities to race, the more drivers will build cars and you know, you'll have a more competitive field. So, I mean, I think that, you know, provide or uh, promoters should provide input, drivers should provide input. But I mean, ultimately, you know, it's not a democracy in racing. Ultimately, there has to be a dictator and who makes the final call on what rules are, in my yeah. opinion, anyway. And, and I think in a perfect world, that's how it should be. But let me tell you how a soda works, right? The drivers technically 
do have a voice and that's their promoters, okay? So I'm proud to say that the track that I raced at, Hibbing, they, I mean, the board, the, the meetings now are, there's just nobody there. But back when I was racing, there was, you know, 30, 40 people at the meetings and they would bring in the proposed rule changes. They'd discuss it as an association and they'd vote on it. And, you know, so they, and they kind of did their homework. I, I was pretty happy with the way the system worked at Hibbing. And, and there's a few other tracks that really do their due diligence. But the promoters, ultimately, they get the proposed rule changes over a month prior to the annual meeting, okay? So, first of all, before that even happens, they're asked to submit in proposed rules, right? So, during the season, promoters should be talking to all the drivers. And I don't mean all the drivers. If, if it's a guy, and no offense to anybody, but if you race three times a year, or if, you've not, if you're not the person that even knows anything about a car, you're not the person to be talking to. They, they got to be talking to the drivers that are at least in the know. The people that are running competitively, work on their stuff, understand what things are. I mean, the promoters know who knows what they're talking about. Talk to those folks, right? But also try to keep it a balance between people that maybe are a little, have a little extra money and people that don't. Because there's a lot of people that are pretty low budget that are really crafty right? They're really good at what they do. And there's people that have a lot of money that are crafty, but they think different because this one's more on a budget than that one. So you got to kind of weigh that in too. So <clears throat> promoters during the course of the year should be proactive on talking to drivers. How do you like the tire? How do you like the shocks? What should be changed? What can be better? Th that conversation needs to happen. And it simply does not. Okay. It, it, how it happens is you see a driver jumping on Facebook and belly aching about it. And then that's how things kind of get started. But there needs to be a conversation, an open door, and most promoters are going to be pretty good at this. I, I, I truly believe that most of the promoters want to, you know, they want to help the drivers. But that conversation needs to happen. So they submit those proposed rule changes, okay? And then a month before the meeting, they'll get an email saying, here's the proposed rule changes. This is what we're going to be voting on. When those come out, a good promoter, right? And, and there's some amazing promoters out there that are just all in doing it. And there's some out there that are part of a association. They're working for free and they're like, I ain't going to deal with this crap. I'm just, I'm just barely even sick of being there. That's the problem, right? Because they're just, they started it all in, but they're just, they're just overwhelmed. So, but there needs to be a representative from each track kind of going through this process. And when the rules come out, they need to be doing their due diligence to understand what are we actually voting on? What is the benefit? What's the pros? Right. What's the cons? And that just simply doesn't happen, okay? So you get to the Wasota annual meetings, and I've been to them, and it was a complete train wreck. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, I usually left there, like, losing brain cells. It just is what it is because they bring all this stuff up. <clears throat> the promoters aren't prepared. And then at first, the Wasota, I'm, I'm thinking the Wasota board are acting like a bunch of dictators, right? They're, they just... You know, they, they just, they want to control everything. Well, I kind of get it. I do because, you know, some of the promoters, I feel bad for them that are the ones that really do their due diligence because it's getting wrecked by the promoters that don't. And if you're a promoter that's not involved, if you're not going to the annual meeting, if you're not part of that process, shame on you. What the hell is wrong with you? It's one weekend out of the year. Get your ass to the meeting. They had a Zoom meeting this last week. The Wasota meeting was on Zoom. You would think, I mean, you can sit at home and jump on the, not even all the tracks jumped on a Zoom meeting. What the hell is wrong with people, right? If you're, if you're a racetrack promoter and you weren't on the meeting or had a rep, didn't have a representative, like, I hope you get no cars next year. And I don't, I, and I got friends of mine that were not on there and I'm talking to you too. Like, I, I literally think that they, that's a bunch of crap. You need to be involved. People complain about Wasota all day long. But yet they're not, I mean, they barely do enough to keep their own track afloat. They don't really give a crap what happens with the whole sanctioning body. Now, with that said, the promoters technically are the ones that get to vote on it. But there's been a lot of discussion. Should the board vote? Should there be a separate tech committee that votes? What does it need to be? Okay. Whoever that is, they better be doing their homework and understand what the hell they're voting on because... Bert, I, I've seen it with Wasota. I've seen it. I've actually been part of this process where it was my car, right? 
where board members were voting on whether to make a certain part legal or not legal. And I had them board members, right? And I don't care, like one of them is the current president of Wissota, okay, right? He specifically, and I'm calling him out, he knows who he is and I don't really give a crap, okay? He came up to me and he says, we're gonna be voting on this deal. We're gonna be voting on a spindle and which part's the spindle again? Are you kidding me? Like seriously, he gets a vote? Why on earth would he get a vote? You don't even know what the part is, right? That pisses me off. That's a broken system. That is absolute ignorance at its finest. If you don't know what you're voting on, zip it and don't vote, period, right? If you can't take the time to educate yourself on what you're gonna vote on and pros and cons and understand what you're voting on, don't vote. See, and that's the problem. And there needs to be a committee and it needs to be a select committee and it, there needs to be possibly a, I think the committee needs to be somebody in the manufacturing realm, somebody in the chassis realm, somebody in the engine realm, some former drivers that are kind of in the know, but there needs to be some people on that committee that are passionate about making this better. And that just doesn't happen. It's not just with soda, it's all of them. IMCA just passed a bunch of rules with their shocks and springs and half the IMCA drivers are like, I don't even know what they're doing. Like what, like what was the purpose of making this change just because they're bored and wanted to make a change? It's like one person says, hey, we need to do this. And they're like, oh, I got an idea, right? You know, Brent Root's not a race car driver. The hell does he know about shocks and springs? Where, I mean, where does he even bring this stuff up? I mean, it don't even make sense, right? I mean, there's, and that's that's the problem. And it's it's everywhere. It's not just with soda. It's World of Outlaws with their droop rule. It's IMCA with their shock and spring deal. I mean, it's it's all of them, and it makes absolutely no sense. And that's why there's a lot of disconnect, right, between the drivers, the promoters, and the sanctioning bodies. And that's exactly why Dirt King started, because the drivers in that area were like, this is bullshit. We're, we're sick of this. Like, we, we're sick of this tire rule. We can't groove them. This is stupid. Like, whatever. We'll just do our own thing. How many tracks does Wasoda have to lose before changes are made? Because they keep losing them every single year, right? And if they lose enough, they've got two Wasoda late model tracks left in the entire state of Wisconsin. That's a problem, right? So there needs to be more of a conversation with everybody to make this a, a more of a well-oiled machine and it's simply not, you know? So that's my rant. I guess that's Ryan's <laughs> rant of the week right there is, uh, and that is sponsored by uh, Massingill Motorsports because Jeffrey enticed me to say, hey, here, you got to talk about this a little bit. So Jeffrey, that one's for you. That's, uh, and, and he's spot on because I mean, that's, it's, it's a broken system and there's there's too many egos involved in all aspects but everybody's got to get together communication needs to happen we all every one of us has exactly the same goal in mind we want racing to be better all of us really the problem is we all have our own ideas what it takes to make it better right but the fact is i i truly believe whether it's the wasota board promoters drivers fans everybody wants racing to be better everybody wants the you know the the sport to grow everybody wants that but there's certain people that are way more knowledgeable in all aspects than others get them involved because that's just going to help everything so anything that you want to add to that well i mean i guess i'll add this uh, you know another thing that um complicates things when i mean it shouldn't complicate things but it does is I mean, when you have sponsors of an organization that sell certain products and obviously, you know, they want rules to go a certain way. So then, you, you know, it, it's like a lobby. I mean, it is it is like politics, basically. I mean, you have a lobby who will lobby for certain rules because it benefits them. And, you know, <laughs> and ultimately the racer is hurt in those situations. Well, two examples that come to mind right off the top is there's a carb adapter for the Midwest Modifies that is supposed to be stamped and you can buy the same one not stamped cheaper. Really? Okay. Stupid. Well, okay. Well, that, that's the thing with I, that's, that's what's always, that's, but this, that's what I hear a lot about IMCA is. Yes. You, Everything you have to buy has to have the IMCA stamp. You're paying for the IMCA stamp. <laughs> IMCA and Wasoda, just so they can get a couple, rub a couple more nickels together. 
The same thing with the the the, uh, the um, bell housing in Midwest Mods. Really? I mean, come on. So you're exactly right. I mean, that needs to not be part of the equation. If a if a um, if one of those sponsors is saying we'll sponsor you, but you have to have everybody running this, I would literally just give them the middle finger and tell them to have a nice day. <laughs> Okay, because it's not good for anybody. Everybody is sick of that. And it's, it's but, it, but again, you're exactly right. It's lobbying. Why do you think Mark Richards gets his way all the time? He's smarter than everybody else. That's why. The guy is, he's, he's all in on racing. It's his business. It's what he does. But he's also, uh, you can call him slippery. You can call him whatever. But on the political aspect of things, right? As far as knowing who to talk to, which budget, which buttons to push, you know how to leverage himself, he knows how to make changes, and that's it. So if you don't like what Mark Richards is doing, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? If you can't beat him, join him, right? So that's a simple that's a simple solution. Figure out what he's doing and just try to do it better and. Uh, there's there's enough racers out there. There's enough people involved that you know he can be beat at his own game for sure. You know, and I feel bad for Austin though because uh, that was a pretty neat deal that he did. Pretty innovative, you know, pretty creative what he did. Um, cost effective. He ran well with it, and then for them to he ran for the whole year, and then for them at the end of the year say, ah, you can't run that next year. It's like, what? You know, so not not a cool deal. But uh, you know, hey, that that's gonna bring us to the last lap. Okay. Um, COVID already making waves, 2021. I mean, COVID-19 has gone into 20 and now it's going into 2021 already. What's the news there in the late model world, Bert? Well, uh, you know, the Lucas Oil Series, they normally uh, get their tour, tour started at Golden Isle. And uh, unfortunately, because of high COVID numbers in that area, uh, those races have been uh, canceled already. And, uh, but they did... Uh, they did find a replacement track, correct? They did. They did. <laughs> yeah, they're heading over to Alltech. They're in, in uh, North Florida. I think that's in uh, Lake City. So Alltech is going to start out the Lucas Oil season with a practice and a double header there, um, leading into Speed Week. So, yeah, it's you know Golden Isles has kind of turned into a pretty pretty neat deal. But at least that's North Florida, so them guys don't have too far to drive anyway. So so we're going to still get things started off right and. Uh, I don't know if you were on the podcast there. You know, uh, we got our own podcast, but I, I do like listening to other stuff. I was on Dirt on Dirt and uh, shots fired, perhaps. Uh, what do you got there in uh, the late model world? A little bit of drama going on. Well, first of all, I was surprised that Turbo had a podcast. Well, I mean, it's not his podcast, but he's like a co-host or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he – well, they had Austin Kirkpatrick on the show – and uh, Turbo asked him a question. I mean, actually, when he asked the question, he flat out said, you know, this is a little controversial question. Um, well, because uh, Kirkpatrick made the comment earlier on what percent the car makes in it and what percent the driver makes in, a, in the total success um, of a car and a driver. And uh, so basically Turbo asked him, to name a driver that he thought had basically had a really good car, but wasn't using it to its full potential. Is that how you would phrase it? That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> and then he goes, yeah, I would say that's me. He said, and he goes, I got a really good hot rod. He goes, but I've only ran, you know, 15, 20 shows. So I don't do the car any justice. It should be a, a heck of a lot faster. Well, but he threw the question around and he said, who do you think? Well, well, actually first, he wouldn't answer the question, so Turbo had to throw a driver out there, and then Kirkpatrick gave his answer. But, yes, uh, Turbo said Ricky Weiss was uh, the driver that he thought um, has a great car every night. But he, he insinuated that I took it where he was insinuating that Weiss was too conservative with things. And uh, he made the comment, though, that, he has a car where he would be winning 20 to 40 races a year. Come on. Nobody wins 20 to 40 races a year. I mean, Jimmy Owens, what kind Brandon of year Shepherd. did he? <laughs> yeah. Brandon Shepard. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, 
yeah, I, I don't know if it was shots fired or not, uh, but I'm not sure why he would pick Ricky Weiss. So, I mean, they don't even race in the same uh, same touring series. No, and I'm kind of wondering, <laughs> is he, like, kissing ass to stop Bloomquist here? Like, going, man, he's, he's got the best car out there. It's the fastest car on the racetrack every night. He's got the best car every night. I don't know why he doesn't win more, right? Is it, so is that kind of like kiss him with the blue quiz or is that shots fired? I, I as a driver, I'd be like, dude, like I'm gonna rip the side off your car next time. I'm gonna <laughs> like the next time I pass you because he usually does, right? Ricky Weiss, when they race against each other, Ricky Weiss usually finishes ahead of Turbo. It just is what it is. So I think Ricky Weiss maybe owes him like rip the side off his car at least once because Turbo's a slide job machine. Ricky's not. Ricky's a smooth momentum kind of guy, but the fact is. I mean, that's a pretty tough deal. And he said there's going to be some hurt feelings. I get it. And it's just part of it. It's just part of the show or whatever. But, you know, to, to call somebody out, you know, dude got second in the world of all series, right? I mean, he, he got third last year. He runs well. I mean, he, he should have won at Eldora, blew a motor up. You know, could he win more? I, I guarantee Ricky Weiss has more wins career in a late model than now than probably Tyler Herbal ever have combined, right? I mean, because he's – He's got five with soda late model um, national championships as well. You know, and so it, the, the dude knows how to win, but I kind of took it as shots fired myself, but we'll let the fans kind of decide, you know, what they think. They can jump onto the uh, going dirt on dirt underneath the podcast there. And I think, what is it? Swap talk or whatever. I think it is yeah. in the, yeah, I think episode 15 or whatever you see the one with Austin Kirkpatrick, you can listen to it and kind of, decide for yourself what he said but uh yeah i already talked about the soda annual meeting that happened well, this weekend hold on. Go ahead. I, I, Go ahead. I want to bring up one other thing all right, about all that. right. I, I want i want to call tyler herb out on something ah. they, were, they were talking about the bristol race the dirt races he knew nothing about that did you hear that i did i did <laughs> i did it's like is this canadian well i think i mean really I mean, would you live under a rock? Like, seriously, everybody knows. How can he not know about that? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I'm completely baffled by that myself. Now, you know, unless the only thing I can figure there is because it kind of all got announced within a, you know a week of each other. Um, sometimes we do our podcast, and it's three days or so. Sometimes before we post it, because we got to do editing, we got to do some stuff. Okay, so, yeah. Maybe they, maybe that announcement came out and then like literally they did the podcast the next day or, you know, maybe, maybe mm. it was just such a short deal where it didn't come out. So there, there might've been that in there. That, that's the only possibly, thing. possibly, possibly. Yeah. But so that, 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 that struck me when I heard that. It's like, dude, you're right, racing, right, the, yeah. you're racing like, oh. the top division in the, in the country and you don't know Bristol's going to be covered with dirt. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, like I said, there was sort of annual meeting happened this week, and I'm disappointed that not all the promoters were on there. I just think that's uh, – I, I think that's distasteful. I mean, can, does Wasota need to have some improvements? It sure does. And I, did I call out the president? I did, right? You know, hey, no harm, no fall. It's years ago. It is what it is. It pissed me off at the time. It really did. But that's just, that's just a broken system, really, is what that is. But, again, everybody that's on the Wasota board – whether we agree with what they do or don't, I mean, we're not going to agree with, I mean, everything anybody does is just part of life. Right. But I believe they're all there because they want to make racing better. It's a thankless job. I don't think they get paid anything for being on the board. Right. So, so, you know, kudos for them putting that deal together. And at least what soda has a system to where the promoters at least can have a place. Like IMCA, they got like their three or four people and that's it. It's like they send out the deal to the tracks and say, here's what it is the tracks don't get a vote at all. At least Wasota has a system to where if you're a proactive um, promoter, get involved, right? And, and have that voice and be at the meetings and be involved and be communicating. And they, that's kind of the broken system though, is most of the promoters don't take an active role in that. And, you know, I get it, you know, because especially board run tracks, like I said, Bert, I mean, they're doing it all for free and there's a lot of time into putting a, a season together so you know there's just one more thing that they're going to do for free but it, you know if you're taking that role that's part of it you know that if you want to be that's just part of it in my opinion now again i think i i think that if you're a track 
you know, that maybe was on there, you should either get a reward or if you're a track that wasn't, you should get your finger slapped. I mean, you got to have some kind of involvement. This is it's one weekend out of the year. It might even just been one day. I don't know if it was a two-day deal. <clears throat> I feel like it was just one day. But uh, no real changes. I know they talked about the Challenge Series, um, having a couple struggles with that because right now the way that that works is the executive director of Wasoda not only kind of runs a lot of the organization, but he also does the Challenge Series. So that's like two completely different jobs. I personally think that they need to hire somebody passionate about making that deal happen and just kind of split that up to where the executive director can focus on running with soda and then hire somebody specifically different to run the challenge series. I think that would be best case scenario. Doesn't sound like that's going to happen for 2021, uh, but they, no real changes. Um, just COVID has everything messed up right now. So there's a lot of uncertainty going in. But uh, I know a lot of tracks are kind of guns blazing with the schedules, getting ready for 2021, and there's a lot of activity happening. Now, I can't, we can't go a whole show, Bert, without uh, giving a little love to our late model expert, Jeff. Okay? Wasn't a lot of late model stuff going on, right? But uh, <clears throat> he did shoot me a picture. And uh, did you happen to see the casket? That I she, did. Yeah, JT Conley. So – it was a month or a couple months ago, Jackie Boggs passed away. Sweet looking casket, like all decked. It wasn't just a pine box or cedar or whatever. It was all wrapped like a race car. And then JT Conley, bam, wrapped like a race car. I'm like, all right. So kind of morbid to talk about caskets, you know. But, I mean, let's be honest. The, the There's a lot of people like myself, right, that <clears throat> racing has been – pretty much my whole life. I've been involved with racing from the day I was born till now, right? My dad's been involved with racing forever. There's people like their whole existence has been in the racing world. Why not send them out that way? That's so cool. I, I think that's awesome. What do you think? No, oh, I, I agree. I mean, I, I see nothing wrong with it. Um, back when I worked uh, um, as a editor for a newspaper, I also did some stories uh, for the magazines that the company had and uh, they had a magazine called Packer Pride for Green Bay Packers. Uh, but I interviewed the oh, owner. I, can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I interviewed the owner of a company and their company specialized in Packer caskets. So, you know, you could order special uh, okay. caskets, you know, with different Green Bay Packers stuff uh, on them. So, I mean, I see nothing wrong with it if that's what the family wants and you know more power to them yeah i i literally had never seen anything like that until jackie box like and then then pete actually showed a picture there was a school bus themed one i think is what he sent me so they that's that's kind of a common deal they're, they're kind of doing that more and more um so I'm hoping that I live at least another, I don't know, 70, 80 years or so. So we ain't got to worry about that. But uh, yeah, that, that's a pretty cool deal. Now, there's doesn't seem to be a lot of racing going on over the next couple of weeks, right? There was supposed to be Gateway. That's done, right? The PRI show was supposed to happen. I think that was supposed to be this past weekend. That's out, right? So it looks like with the holiday season coming up, racing is about done i don't really see anything else really going on and uh it looks to me like the next big thing is the lucas oil tulsa shootout and uh that's actually beginning december 30th it goes through the uh, i think through the second in 2019 bert 1397 entries well i was just gonna say uh, Puka's already got his tickets for this, right? I would have to think so. Um, you know, that's his <laughs> cup of tea. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, what they got to do is they got to take some advice down from that East Alabama Speedway. When you have that many cars, you got to do at least seven or eight parade laps every time there's a yellow. Um, I jumped on their Facebook page, Bert, because they were supposed to have a show this weekend. I think they got it in and one. They kind of changed some stuff up. But, oh, my I mean, if you if you want some entertainment, right, go to the East Alabama Motor Speedway on Facebook and just literally read through the comments from, like, the last several posts. Like, I'll be surprised if the promoter of that place literally doesn't shoot themselves. Like, they – I mean, 
they are getting absolutely massacred for everything. It's crazy. I'm like, I, uh, yeah, I feel, I feel bad. Like I, we kind of gave a little crap because the show took 18 <laughs> hours, but uh, it sounds like they kind of got a little bit of a mess down there, but check that out. I mean, it, it's, it's quite entertaining on Facebook and uh, yeah, I, I kind of read through some of that stuff because I was trying to figure out if they raced or not, but they, I couldn't really find an answer. I think they got the show in, but there was no results, no nothing. And it was, I mean, she got shredded. It, it was a bad deal. So that's what's coming up. <clears throat> then, of course, you know, getting into the beginning part of January, mid-January, you got, you know, that's when the late model season starts down at Speed Weeks. Got the Wild West Tour and the Wild Wing Tour down in Arizona. So, you know, we got a couple weeks off here next week and uh, i'm excited for this bird i'm excited because we've been putting uh we got the power ranking show that we did all year long or most of the year i guess for the late models in our region we broke down each of those sections right and uh, now we're kind of compiling some information we got pretty much everything put together but next week we're going to be focusing 100 percent on the top 25 drivers in uh the late models i wanted to say it was soda late models but we have the Eastern Wisconsin group and uh, a feeling there's going to be a couple representatives there also in the top 25 and also we got to include them in there but our region we're going to break down who the top 25 drivers are in late model racing in our area I tell you it's a little harder than I thought I mean it I mean you start weighing these against each other it gets a little just like Turbo said there's probably going to be some feelings hurt there, there probably is, and, and if you don't like where you got placed in this deal, um, it's 100% Mert's decision. Um, B-E-R-T-L-E-H-M-A-N on Facebook. Just go ahead and shoot him a message. Um, vent to him, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, uh, in, in all reality, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's What I realize is that late model racing is a lot bigger than I thought around here. Um, the problem I see with it is we can very rarely do we get representatives from all of the different right. sections together. And, and <clears throat> that's a goal moving forward for me. I don't know if we'll make it happen in 2021. Hopefully some people follow the challenge series, but I sure would like to see, you know, a, one, at least one event, maybe a couple events to where we could get representatives from all those areas, race for some real money and kind of get them all together. That would be awesome. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I mean, like you said, what makes this difficult is uh, you're comparing drivers that haven't necessarily raced against each other. So it's hard to, you know, they're racing against their own competition and you're trying to uh, see how that correlates together. Um, in a way, it's almost like uh, picking the teams for the NCAA tournament because not the, the teams don't always play each other so right. you're trying to pick teams based on competition and I mean I mean that's one thing that um when we did our shows that I looked at was uh you know how do how does the competition in one area compare to the competition in another area because a driver may not have as many good finishes in one area but if they're if the competition is tougher you know and then you weigh in that all of a sudden you get one of them drivers from a certain region, they do travel over, they race a couple of them shows, and then they break, right? And it's like they get a DNF, it's like, well, there was our chance, but is it even a fair assessment? Like you take somebody from, you know, we'll just use the NLRA region. If you took somebody out of that region and you brought them over and they raced a couple shows in Wisconsin, well, chances are they're probably not going to run as good because it's not their home turf, Right. So when you take them guys there, then maybe you take some Wisconsin drivers and you bring them there. Now you have a fair assessment, but that doesn't happen very much. I would say the, the Sites Memorial was kind of a, you know, that was kind of one race, I guess, where you had a whole body of work, but there's not a lot of it. I mean, Cedar Lake is kind of the mecca of racing for late models in Wisconsin. And you had a couple South Dakota guys come over, and, but you don't really get a full feel because, if you're used to racing on a small turn and burn type track, you know, kind of a slower stop and go deal, then you go to a big momentum track that you're not used to, you're not going to run as good. So, well, 
and in 2020, uh, it seemed like Mississippi Thunder Speedway was a place where Eastern Wisconsin drivers race against Western Wisconsin drivers. I mean, yeah. even though Mississippi Thunder is in the Western part of the state, uh, there is a couple of Dirt Kings races there. I know uh, some Eastern Wisconsin drivers uh, made the trek over there for the essential race, which was the first race of the year when that state was technically still shut down. Um, and they so, finished po there was podium finishes from that Eastern Wisconsin group. They, I, I don't remember who it was yet. You probably remember off the top of your head, but somebody finished in the top three coming over from that direction. Maybe not that think, particular race, but one of the Dirt Kings races anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think Justin Ritchie, I don't know. I'd have to look. I know Troy right. Springborn went to the Essential race and finished 10th. Right. Um, um, it wasn't top three, but he was 10th. Um, but, yeah, I mean – some of the there, there's a few uh, podium finishes in the Dirt Kings race at Mississippi Thunder, right? And that's kind of equal playing field because they don't typically have late models, right? So it kind of it kind of makes it broke down a little bit different. I'm kind of looking through here, but we'll figure that out later. That's that's for another time. But the fact of the matter is, it's a little bit more challenging than what people think because you start kind of figuring out, well, who's better, who's worse, who's, you know, they don't race against each other. And that's where the series is coming. How do we get all these drivers together? That as a fan, as a fan, there would be nothing better than getting the top five, six, seven drivers from each of those areas in one big show or, or maybe two, get a show or even have, can you imagine a perfect world, Bert, right? A perfect world would be, six shows if we have six separate regions right <laughs> if you had one in each region right and, and and have some kind of a series to get them all to go but man getting getting the drivers committed to do that would be challenging because the schedule very challenging full, you know but uh <laughs> but it would be fun in a perfect world that that would be amazing to do and then the following week uh you know we got christmas week coming up you know and, and so that's going to be our special holiday treat to you is that show um, but then following week, we're actually doing the best of 2020. Uh, we got uh, the best moments, the storylines. We got some awards we're going to give out, right? You know, top local, top regional drivers. We got some neat things that we're going to do, and uh, we're going to recognize some folks on that deal, and uh, that's going to close out 2020. And then uh, about that time, we'll be t we'll be talking racing again because we're going to roll right into January, guns blazing. So. With that said, you know, uh, I, I just want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas because, you know, that's that's coming up, I guess, next week, right? And uh, we're not – we're doing the late model show, so we ain't going to be kind of doing a deal like this. But I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Hopefully you get to spend it with your family, um, you know, and, and really enjoy that time together and, and remember the reason for Christmas. And, you know, Bert, uh, anything you want to add to close out the show? Yeah, I just want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas also, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the time with your family, uh, you know, be careful, but still enjoy your life and uh, spend some time with your family. <laughs> yeah, life is short. Enjoy the heck out of it for sure. So I'm Ryan. That is the one and only Bert Lehman. We're the one to go show. And uh, like Puka always says, go out there and be your dream. And we'll see you guys soon.